Chapter 18 of North Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 18 Scares. When the Eskimo arrived with Bonsall and Peterson, Dr. Kane resolved at once to send them back with supplies for the remaining portion of Dr. Hay's company, supposed to be, if living, at the miserable old hut. Peterson and Bonsall were utterly unable to accompany them. Of the scanty ship's store, he caused to be cleaned and boiled a hundred pounds of pork. Small packages of meat biscuit, bread dust, and tea were carefully sewed up, all weighing three hundred and fifty pounds, and the whole was entrusted to the returning convoy, who gave emphatic assurances that these treasures, more precious than gold to those for whom they were intended, should be promptly and honestly delivered. But this promise we have seen they did not keep, and probably did not intend to keep. They ate or wasted the whole. This untrustworthy trait of the Eskimo character goes far to show that nothing but Dr. Hay's boom could have assured their help in his desperate necessities. When Dr. Hayes arrived, it was midnight. Dr. Kane met him at the gangway and gave him a brother's welcome. All were taken at once into the cabin. Olsen was the first to recognize Hayes as he entered, and kissing him, he threw his arms around him and tossed him into the warm bed he had just left. The fire was set ablaze, coffee and meat biscuit soup were prepared, and with wheat bread and molasses were set before them. In the meantime their Eskimo apparel was removed and hung up to dry. They ate and slept, but many weary days passed, under skillful treatment by Dr. Kane and kind care by all, before they fully recovered from the strain of their terrible exposures and fearful journey. When the returned comrades were duly cared for, Dr. Kane turned his attention to the conciliation of the Eskimo, who had accompanied them back. They, of course, had their complaints to make, and maybe meditated revenge, though they were, as usual, full of smiles. It was the white chief's policy to impress them with his great power and stern justice. He assembled both parties, the Hayes men and their Eskimo, in conference on deck. Both were questioned as if it were a doubt who had been the offenders. This done, he graciously declared to the savage members of the council his approval of their conduct, which he made emphatic, in the Eskimo way, by pulling their hair all round. The great Nalleluk, having thus expressed his good will, showed it still further by introducing his guests, now to be considered friends, into the mysterious igloo below where they had not before been permitted to enter. Their joy was that of indulged children during a holiday. They were seated in state on a red blanket. Four pork-fat lamps burned brilliantly, ostentatiously paraded were old worsted damask curtains, hunting knives, rifles, chronometers, and beer barrels, which, as they glowed in the light, astonished the natives. With a princely air, which no doubt seemed to the recipients almost divine, he dealt out to each five needles, a file, and a stick of wood. To the two headmen, Kalutuna and Shunkhu, knives and other extras were given. A roaring fire was then made and a feast cooked. This eaten, Buffaloes were spread about the stove, and the guests slept. They awoke to eat and ate to sleep again. 
when they were ready to go the white chief explained that the sledges dogs and some furs which his men had taken had been taken to save life and were not to be considered as stolen goods and he then and there restored them they laughed voted him in their way a good fellow and in fine spirits dashed away shouting to their wolfish dogs they had taken special care however to add to the treasures so generously given a few stolen knives and forks as the whole company are now crowded into the little cabin and the darkness is without though that the days pass without much incident except that all are crowded with heavy burdens upon mind and body we will listen to a few of the yet untold stories of the earlier winter at one time dr kane attempted a walrus hunt morton hans otunia miyok and a dark stranger Avachtuk, accompanied him he took a light sledge drawn by seven dogs intending to reach the farthest point of force bay by daylight but as the persistency of the eskimo had overladen the sledge they moved slowly and were overtaken by the night on the floe in the midst of the bay the snow began to drift before an increasing storm while driving rapidly they lost the track they had been following they could see no landmarks and in their confusion turned their faces to the floating ice of the sound the eskimo usually at home on the floe whether by night or by day were quite bewildered the dogs became alarmed and spread their panic to the whole party they could not camp the wind blew so fiercely so they were compelled to push rapidly forward they knew not whither checking after a while their speed dr kane gave each a tent-pole to feel their way more cautiously for a murmur had reached his ear more alarming than the roar of the wind suddenly the noise of waves startled him turn the dogs he shouted while at the same moment a breath of frost smoke cold and wet swept over the whole party and the sea opened to them with its white line of foam about one-fourth of a mile ahead the flow was breaking up by the force of the storm the broken ice might be in any direction they could now guess where they were and they turned their faces towards an island up the bay but the line of the sea with its foaming waves followed them so rapidly that they began to feel the ice bending under their feet as they ran at the sides of the sledge the hummocks before them began to close up and they ran by them at a fearful risk as they hurried cautiously forward stumbling over the crushed fragments between them on the shore it was too dark to see the island for which they were steering but the black outline of a lofty cape was dimly seen along the horizon and served as a landmark as they approached the shore edge of the floe they found it broken up and its fragments surging against the base of the ice foot to which they desired to climb being now under the shadow of the land, it was densely dark. Dr. Kane went ahead, groping for a bridge of ice, having a rope tied round his waist, the other end of which was held by Utunia, who followed, at whose heels came the rest of the party. The doctor finally succeeded in clambering upon the ice foot, and the rest one after another followed with the dogs. The joy of their escape broke out into exultation, when they ascertained that the land was Anuatuk, only a short distance from the familiar Eskimo huts. 
God had guided them, with his all-seeing eye, to where they would find needed refreshment. In less than an hour they were feasting on a smoking stew of walrus meat. Having eaten their stew and drank their coffee, they slept, slept eleven hours. Well, they might, after an unbroken ice walk of forty-eight miles and twenty haltless hours. The Eskimo sang themselves to sleep with a monotonous song, in compliment to the white chief, the refrain of which was, Naligak, 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 Sok, Captain, Captain, Great Captain. Without further special incident, the party returned to the break. At one time, an alarm was brought to Dr. Kane that a wolf was prowling among the meat barrels on the floe. Believing that a wolf would be more profitably added to their store of meat than to have him take anything from it, he seized a rifle and ran out. Yes, there he is, a wolf from the tip of his nose to the end of his tail. Bang goes the rifle, whiz goes the ball, making the hair fly from the back of one of the sledge-dogs. He was not hurt much, but he came near paying with his life for the crime of running away from Morton's sledge. The fox-traps made occasion for many long walks, great expectations of game, and grievous disappointment. Dr. Kane and Hans were at one time examining them about two miles from the brig. They were unfortunately unarmed. The doctor thought he heard the bellow of a walrus. They listened. No, not a walrus, but a bear. Hark, hear him roar. They sprung to the ice foot about ten feet above the floe. Another roar, round and full, he is drawing nearer. He has a fine voice and no doubt is large and fat and savoury. But then a bear must be killed before he is eaten, and that is just where the difficulty lies. It don't do for two men to run, for that is an invited pursuit, and bears are good runners. Hans, exclaimed Dr. Kane, run for the brig and I will play decoy. Hans is a good runner, and this time he did his level best. Dr. Kane remains on the ice foot alone. It is too dark to see many yards off, and the silence is oppressive, for the bear says nothing, and so Kane makes no reply. He queries whether, after all, there is any bear. How easy it is for the imagination to be excited amid these shadowy hummocks, and this dreary waste through which the wind roars so dismally. He gets down from his comparatively safe elevation upon the floe, puts his hand over his eyes, and peers into the darkness. No bear, after all. But what is that rounded, shadowy thing? Stained ice? Yes, stained ice. But the stained ice speaks with a voice which wakes the arctic echoes and charges on our explorer. It is a hungry bear. Dr. Kane's legs are scurvy-smitten affairs, but this time they credit the fleetness of those of the deer. He drops a mitten, and his pursuer stops to smell of it, to examine it carefully, and to show his disgust at such game by tearing it to pieces. These bears are famous for losing the bird by stopping to pick up his feathers. The man stops not, but drops another mitten as he flies. Before these articles are duly examined, he has reached the brig. Dr. Kane has escaped, and the bear has lost his supper. It is now Bruin's turn to run, 
for fresh hunters and loaded rifles are after him. He does run, and escapes. But if there were fears without the brig, there were fightings with a fearful enemy within. The crowded conditions of the cabin, after the highs party returned, made it necessary for the pork-fat lamps to be set up outside the avenue, in a room parted off in the hold for their use. A watch was set over them, but he deserted his post, the fat flamed over and set the room ablaze. Eight of the men lay in their berth at the time helplessly disabled. The fire was only a few feet from the tinder-like moss which communicated with the cabin. The men able to work seized buckets and formed a line to the well in the ice, always kept open. In the meantime, Dr. Kane rushed into the flames with some fur robes which lay at hand and checked it for the moment. The water then came, and the first bucketful thrown caused a smoke and steam which prostrated him. Fortunately, in falling, he struck the feet of the foremost bucket man. He was taken to the deck, his beard, forelock, and eyebrows singed away, and set burns upon his forehead and palms. Nearly all received burns and frostbites, but in half an hour the fire was extinguished. The danger was horrid, and the escape wonderful. Neither wild beasts nor the flames hurt, whom God protects. End of chapter 18